and welcome to this podcast on GP practice mergers. Uh, I'm Alison Oliver and I'm a partner in the corporate commercial department at Hempson's and a member of our specialist GP team. I'm based in our Newcastle office, uh, but we have uh, partners and other solicitors in um, in our other three offices around the country who also assist with GP practice mergers. Um, I'm joined on this podcast by Kirsty O'Dell, who's uh, an associate in our London office. Hello, Kirsty. Hi, Alison. Great. So we're talking today about why practices um, might consider merging and the key considerations of GP practice mergers. Um, so, I mean, there, there's a number of reasons, aren't there, Alison, as to why practices uh, might choose to merge? It- That's right. Yes, lots and lots of different lots and lots of different reasons why practices might might merge. Um, I think it's worth noting that that over the recent years, GP practices have um, had an increasingly onerous administrative burden placed on them. And and there's no doubt that uh, smaller practices might struggle a bit more with with that burden. Um, So merging can sometimes help with that, um, where a bigger practice can achieve more economies of scale in in complying with the various requirements that that practices have to satisfy, as well as perhaps being able to get better deals on purchasing supplies and those kinds of things. Um, What other uh, kinds of reasons do you come across in your work, Kirsty, why practices might merge? Yeah, I, I think it's really um, partly to do with having a, a stronger voice in the wider healthcare system, um, particularly with the emergence of, of more integration, uh, integrated care systems and things. It's it's definitely um, needed for for practices to be able to to build those those strong relationships with with their PCNs and to be able to to continue to stand in the ever changing environment that there is at the moment in the in the NHS. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I think another thing is that that um, bigger practices can can perhaps provide a, a bigger range of of enhanced or additional services. And um, certainly, in um, partners that I've spoken to who are considering merging, one of the things that they can sometimes find attractive about working for a bigger practice is that there's more flexibility for them to develop special interests um, within a within a larger practice that's providing a broader range of services. Um, and, and, and I think it's also worth noting that the recent months have seen practices um, working much more closely together because of the pandemic and, and also working in PCNs and, and uh, they're starting to see some of the benefits of working more closely with their counterparts. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and there's certainly different ways in which uh, practices can choose to merge as well. I mean, it's probably we don't need to go into too much detail on those those different models in in this podcast, but um, you know that they can have a full merger where they they look to merge the the NHS contracts together so that one new partnership is formed with one new NHS contract comprising both patient lists or multiple patient lists. Um, that there could be a partial merger where the contracts continue in existence and they kind of run alongside each other, but with a with a new merge partnership. Um, and some practices are even um, considering looking at incorporating as well, aren't they? So setting up actual limited companies to to provide their their services for them. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you see some of the much bigger 
super partnership models, don't you, where you've got uh, multiple sites and and uh, sometimes in that that model um, that can suit people who who want to have perhaps a greater degree of of devolved power than a full merger might offer because because those there are lots of different variations on that federated or super partnership model which enable um, site partners at, at sites um, within that model to perhaps have a, a greater degree of independence. Definitely. So if a practice is uh, thinking about merging um maybe we should talk a little bit about what they might need to consider and what they might need to be doing so i think one of the first things for them is is the due diligence process probably um so you know investigating the the practices and asking questions on a legal financial and operational basis just to make sure that they're aware of possible liabilities and, and issues within the relevant practices um, and then they can seek protections and things if they need it uh, within the the merger arrangements that they enter into, um, what else should a practice be doing ahead of a merger? Well, I think I think one of the things is, I mean, perhaps even before you get into detailed legal and financial due diligence, is is just having a chat with the people you're proposing to merge with and getting to know them a bit and thinking, are these people that I can work with? Because um, you need to have a common vision, don't you, with the people that you're proposing to merge with and, and make sure that um, you're all heading in the same direction or it's it's likely to uh, to fall apart. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Having a common vision, I think, is super important. Um, and then once, you know, you, you get down down to, to business, um, you're also going to be looking at harmonisation and, and integration of, of the practices as well. So um, making sure that the profit sharing um, system works across all of the, the practices, accounting practices and shared resources and things are all all organised and, and put into place and considering the, the different staffing and premises concerns that there might be across the, the different practices within the, the new merged entity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then, of course, once you've talked about all those things, there are various uh, legal documents that you'll need to make sure that all those terms are are set out clearly um, to, to to make sure that everybody um, is clear on on um, how, for example, the liabilities of the practices prior to the merger will be dealt with, um, how income and and um, will be apportioned before and after the merger, and and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, in terms, of, there's quite a lot to do, isn't there, Kirsty? So, I mean, in your experience, um, how long do you would you think this this kind of process will take? Uh, so I, I think we generally suggest that practices when they start talking about it, start thinking about it, to give themselves around a year to to properly consider everything and make sure that that they do have a, a thorough um, think about things and, and enter into proper conversations um, as well as you know negotiations and things. And there are so many different factors that can affect the timescales of, of the transaction and, and third parties involved. So you know, there's regulatory requirements, um, engaging with NHS England and CQC about um, changes to contracts and registrations. And there's other third parties such as landlords um, that might be involved on, on the premises side as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to think about. And I think a year is a realistic um, estimate of time for, for how long things could take. It, it could get done in, you know, we wouldn't say any less than, than six months if, if it was done properly. 
um, but we'd always recommend a little bit longer to make sure that you it is done it is done properly yeah I, I i would i would agree uh, with that and and i i think one of the things that i would urge practices to to do if they are considering merging is is to sort of set their target date um at a realistic point in the future um and then uh, i mean some people might say well you would say that you're a lawyer but i would say get specialist legal advice and also um accountancy advice very early on i mean i've been approached by practices sometimes saying oh you know we want to complete our merger next month um and 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 then when you start drilling down you know they've not addressed a number of the issues that they they need to properly address and i would far rather be involved very early in, early on in the process and and be able to give some advice on on things like the best structure for your merger and what you need to do and the timescales for that early on um, and then let the practices go off and, and and do a lot of the work themselves and then come back to us later to to draft legal documents and so on but at least practices have then been set off on the right track with a clear understanding of what they need to do from a legal perspective yeah absolutely and, and like you say similarly with accountants as well because there are many accounting aspects of of a merged partnership that that they will need guidance on um too so so yeah that that's really important and it can be uh, sometimes frustrating i think from our point of view where we get people come to us like you say saying that they've got a merger and they want it to happen within a month and they've already headed down a track that might not have been the best structure or, or option for them and then we have to un, un, <laughs> unwind things and and put them back on the right track again so so that early engagement can and often be more cost effective in in the long run as well i think that's great well i think um that was really helpful talking to you about that kirsty and uh if anybody would like more information about gp practice mergers then then please feel free uh to to get in touch Thank you.